Our New Testament lessons come from several different spots, uh, first from Ephesians and then a couple of readings from Jesus' teaching in Luke, and then finally concluding with our theme verse for this series from Matthew chapter 11. So let's begin with Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians from chapter 4, verse 28, where he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And then from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to the Lord Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, Jesus says, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And then from Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then in the same chapter, verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And then our theme verse for our series on the disciplines of discipleship. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and hear these words as I speak them from the mouth of Jesus uh, slowly over all of us this morning. Jesus says to each of us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus says, is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's have a little quiz here at the beginning, shall we? Uh, if I was more technologically sophisticated, maybe I would have done a, a, an actual Zoom poll here for you, but I didn't get to it. Let's have just a show of hands quiz, right? Direct democracy. Uh, four questions. Ready? Is Number one, is life simple or complex? Simple or complex? Raise your hand if you think life is simple. Raise your hand if you think life is complex. Okay. I'll be the scrutineer. I'll point myself the scrutineer, and I will declare that the complex people have it. Okay. Second question. Is life easy or hard? Is life easy or hard? Raise your hand if you think life is easy. Ah. Raise your hand if you think life is hard. Okay. Even though there were some... People in the strong minority this time, I think the hards have it. People that think life is hard win. Okay, third question. Do you want life to be simple or do you want it to be complex? Raise your hand if you want life to be simple. Okay, and raise your hand if you want life to be complex. Interesting, okay. And then... You know what the last question is going to be. Do you wish that life were easy or that it were hard? Raise your hand if you think you, if you wish that life were easy. <laughs> and raise your hand if you wish that life were hard. Okay, I'm going to say that the easies have it, although by the time we got to the end of our quiz, we had some contrarians in the room who were voting for hard and complexity and all of this. So one, during one season of my ministry, I had a mentor named Mike Breen, 
And he says that living a good life, living a life that consists in following Jesus, and even leading people to follow Jesus more closely, he says that this good life of discipleship is not easy, but hard. And yet at the same time, Mike Breen says, the good life is not complex, but simple. So he would say, we go wrong when we assume that life is easy when in fact it's hard, that discipleship is easy when in fact it's hard. But at the same time, we can also get mixed up when we assume that a life of following Jesus, a good life, has to be complex when in fact it can and should be simple. So Mike Breen's vote anyway, and I've come to trust him on this question, is not complex, not easy, but simple, and hard. So last week we said that the disciplines of discipleship are ways to practice the presence of God. And if Jesus calls us, as he does, to become his apprentices in all of life, then we need to be with him. We need to be close enough to him in order that we might pick up his habits, his speech, and ultimately his heart. So that as my old pastor used to say, that we can be able to do the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally. And so today, as Sam has said earlier, our, our topic is simplicity. Our discipline is simplicity. And simplicity itself is simple, even though <laughs> sticking to it is hard. What is simplicity? Simplicity is the inward disposition and the outward lifestyle of a person who puts everything under the rule of just one thing, their apprenticeship to Jesus Christ who has called them. The inward disposition and the outward lifestyle of a person who puts everything under the rule of just one thing, their apprenticeship to Jesus Christ, who has called them. It's been common now in the English language for maybe 100 years to talk a lot about priorities, priorities. But people have been pointing out recently that this word is literally a contradiction. The plural in English, priorities, doesn't make sense. And it wasn't even used until well into the 20th century. Because up until then, everybody knew that you could actually only have one thing that was prior to everything else. There's only one priority by definition. And simplicity is the call to recover one priority that doesn't just get done first, but that actually governs all the other things that we might want to make or do or say or consume or pursue with our lives. John Maxwell has said brilliantly, I think, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. You cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. And so from the very first disciples, disciples of Jesus, any follower of Jesus, by definition, leaves practically everything behind to dedicate themselves completely to just one thing, becoming 
like Jesus by being his apprentice. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what I'm leaving behind and I strain toward what is ahead, toward the voice who is calling me ever upward. See Philippians chapter three for this. So we practice the discipline of discipleship that is simplicity when we stop serving several lords and we learn that only one is Lord, and that's the Lord Jesus. Simplicity means that we recognize that this is the Lord's country, that we are using the Lord's calories, that everything in creation is the Lord's creation, and finally, that the Lord's calling is the only one that counts. So these four things, this is the Lord's country, the Lord's calories, the Lord's creation, and the Lord's calling. And let's look at the scriptures that we've read to see these things. First of all, first step to simplicity as a disciple is to admit that this is the Lord's country. I was stunned by this this week in Leviticus chapter 25. Something rather startling happens here. You see, the people of Israel have been wanderers in other people's lands for generations. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, Joseph, all the way down to Moses. They were all foreigners in strange lands, but they all left behind everything to follow God who promised to lead them where? To a promised land. Finally, Moses leads them to a land of their own, a place where they can be sovereign and not some foreign king. They can stop serving the pagan nations around them. This is now their own country, finally, right? Well, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23 says, Actually, nope. The Lord has promised them a new home, but he says to them, the land is mine and you are foreigners in it. You are not natives, but you are immigrants. And I'm granting you a visa to stay on my soil and to work it and to benefit from it. So it's true what Paul says, that it is for freedom that the Lord has set us free, beginning with Israel. But they were not a nation of sovereign selves, everyone serving their own interests and pursuing their own happiness on their own terms. The Lord was king of his country, and their king was offering them a chance to experience freedom under his gracious reign and rule. So freedom is always ruled freedom. Blessedness and true happiness is always a byproduct of a life that is submitted to the one who sovereignly saves us and sets us free to live under his lordship. So our country is always the Lord's country. First step of simplicity is to recognize that. And then secondly, so we're always in the Lord's country, and then second inescapable aspect of simplicity, we are always burning, if you will, the Lord's calories. Look again at Ephesians 4.28. Paul says, look, if you're a thief and you're in Christ now, stop stealing and make something with your hands so that you have enough for yourself and enough to give to other people. And so we see here that it's not just the wealthy but it can also be the poor, and by extension, the middle class, who can end up serving money and possessions. No matter where you are in the social structure, if you envy others' wealth and possessions, the New Testament is clear, you'll wreck your life. 
And you'll do that if you're poor, middle class, or wealthy. So the poor must work instead of stealing. The middle class must work instead of stealing. The rich must work instead of stealing. To follow Jesus, you work with your hands instead of stealing. And the purpose of work is to provide for your own needs so that you don't envy others. You're not tempted to steal or get things by disgraceful ways. And so that you have enough ultimately to share with those in need. So when you leave practically everything behind to follow Jesus, now every calorie that you consume and every calorie that you burn is a calorie that comes under the control of Christ. Otherwise, it's stolen. Simplicity is the discipline of discerning what blessings it is important for me, for you, as followers of Christ, to bring into the world through the calories that he's given me to consume and to burn and to bring before him for his good and glory. So that a simple disciple sees that it's the Lord's country, that these are the Lord's calories, and third, that this is actually, all of it, the Lord's creation. The Lord's creation. Look at Luke chapter 12, uh, the parable of the rich fool. Oof, this hits so hard, doesn't it? Jesus minces no words, and he's teaching us that all of our planning and scheming that's designed to capture the maximum amount of wealth and to store it up for later, it doesn't protect us, does it, from the sudden poverty that comes upon us in the moment of our death. When you die, do you want to be found dead or alive, is another way of putting it. Life, Jesus says, does not consist in the abundance of things. And to live as if it does, Jesus says, is to be a fool. Don't be a fool. <laughs> it's hard to be rich and to live under God's rule. It's really easy to consider yourself the king of your own country when you start living like a king. And so Jesus' teaching is that you must be rich toward God. It's not necessary at all, in fact, to be rich in things. And you have to be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Jesus says. The 19th century Dutch theologian and statesman Abraham Kuyper has famously said that there is not one square centimeter in all of creation over which the resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus does not cry, mine. Isn't that something? As we sing at Christmas time, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his love, uh, and, sorry, the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So wherever we wander, wherever we work and live and play, whatever we manage uh, to make in terms of wealth, we are in, always in the Lord's creation, not our own. And on that day when God says that the game is up and he wants his harvest of righteousness, any, any harvest that we have will be by God's grace. And yet the question is, will the harvest be plentiful? Or will we die with barns full of toys and lost souls? 
Richard Foster reminds us that simplicity means to discover once again, Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we need to recognize as simple disciples that this is the Lord's creation. So simplicity disciplines us to remember that it's the Lord's country, the Lord's calories, the Lord's creation, and then finally, the Lord's calling. And if the parable of the rich fool makes you uncomfortable like it makes me, just wait for the real life story of the rich young ruler. But we will be misunderstanding this story if we, well, if we misunderstand it. Jesus does not say that everyone must give away everything in order to follow Jesus. What is his point? The point is that everyone must live with such a profound interior simplicity that if Jesus did come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, the next step, the next thing I want you to do to follow me is to sell your possessions, to give the money to the poor, and to follow me, to trust me with your life, to trust me to meet your needs along the way, that you wouldn't go away sad, but that you would delight to do it. So the reason that we practice simplicity, in part by giving things away regularly, is that we're training our hearts to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And if our hearts are set on God's reign and God's rule in Jesus Christ, then we will easily come to love, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, if, if our hearts are set on the reign and rule of Christ, then it will not be easy for us to love and serve money and lose our souls in the process because our hearts belong where our treasure is. Poverty and the powerlessness that comes with poverty is not a good thing. It's awful. But being captive to career and to cash and to cars and to condos, that's also awful. So what will you do to make sure that you're not taken captive? Let me give just one example, just one person. Uh, the writer and pastor John Piper, when he saw that his book, Desiring God, started selling like crazy, and he realized that he was going to get rich. In an interview, he said, look, when I realized this, I thought, I don't want to be rich. It's hard, as Jesus says, for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't really want to make it hard on myself. And so what did he do? He immediately set up a fund so that all of his book royalties could be gathered together and given away for the good of those in his community that had much less. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a follower of Jesus because he has called you to follow him. And before we talk about our calling in life, we need to see that the Lord's calling is what counts. He's Lord. An apprentice of Jesus is always aware that their master may call them to lay down their life savings, to let go of their land and their luxuries, maybe even to lay down their life as an act of loyalty and love in response to Jesus's love. And simplicity, therefore, is the discipline of letting go of our death grip in our hearts and in our actions of every good thing that God has given us so that if and when we are called to give it up, we can do it with gladness. Richard Foster says that simplicity is freedom 
and duplicity, serving more than one master, is bondage. Now, I don't know what exactly the discipline of simplicity will mean in your life. I'm not your Lord. Jesus is. But I can call you to get curious about your feelings with respect to money and wealth and possessions. Ask the Lord to search you and to know you and to expose all of your hidden thoughts. And in the meantime, guard against greed because it's corrosive and it leaves you poor in soul. Practically speaking, I'm going to fly through these, but here are 10 suggestions, 10 principles for a disciplined, simple life from Richard Foster. And if you tune in on after Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it is, to our Disciplines of Discipleship conversation in the sermon feed, then we'll talk more about these. But here's 10 practical principles. One, buy things for usefulness, not prestige. Two, reject anything that feeds an addiction. Three, habitually give things away. Four, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. That's a fancy way of saying you don't need every latest new thing. Five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Six, learn to enjoy creation. Seven, be skeptical of all buy now, pay later schemes. Eight, speak plainly and honestly, that is to say, simply. Nine, reject anything that breeds oppression. And 10, reject anything that distracts you from seeking God first. Lots to chew on there, isn't there? But the final and most important thing to say here is this. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus sought first his Father's kingdom and his righteousness? Because he did, because he was ready in humble simplicity to lay down his very life when his Father called him to do it, now he can say to us at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my father's pleasure. Because he sought first his father's kingdom, everything else in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The nations, every square centimeter of the cosmos, and especially you and me for whose everlasting blessing he laid down his very life. Because of what Christ came to do for us, you and I will never stop serving him and serving one another in the Lord's country. We'll never stop, we'll never lack, rather, the Lord's calories, the energy to do it. We'll never tire of enjoying Christ's rule over the Lord's creation. And we will never stop hearing and loving and simply following the Lord's calling forever, world without end. Heavenly Father, this is a radical call to live a simple life in a complex economy. We ask that you would show us what we can do that would be simple, 
Help us to start small, but help us to start right away, bringing our hearts and our lives into a place of simple trust in you. Teach us the way of Jesus and remind us most of all that it was his ways and ultimately his life-giving sacrifice that brings us into your kingdom, grants us righteousness, and gives us hope for the life to come. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.